Greetings, everyone, and welcome back to the Preacher's Corner. I'm Pastor Jay. Today, we're going to be getting into 1 Corinthians chapter number 10, where we shall probably spend a few days. <laughs> There's a lot of great stuff that's in this chapter. Today, we're going to be reading the first section, which will take us from verse 1 all the way down to verse number 22, but it'll, it'll take us about two days to get through that, and then we'll finish the rest of the chapter after. So, without further ado, let us turn to the Lord and ask His wisdom in prayer. Father, we do ask Thy blessing upon us that You may give us wisdom. Help us, Lord, to see these points. Give us ability to connect them to the Old Testament where they're being brought out. And realize, Lord, that the New Covenant is a, a revelation of the Old Covenant. As when Paul would teach uh, the, the New Covenant people, he's teaching from the Old Covenant Scripture. And as Jesus would speak of New Covenant truth, he's revealing Old Covenant prophecy. And so we see that in Christ, both are one. The whole Bible makes sense when Jesus is plugged into it. So we pray that we would be believers today and that we would be able to glean from those things of the old and the new so that we could be a complete child of God in Christ Jesus. We ask these things in his blessed name. Amen. All right, guys, let's just read through from verse 1 to 22, and then we'll back up to verse 1 and, and take a look at some Old Testament connected to what Paul was trying to explain to this people in the church at Corinth. He goes forward and before I start reading, catch some of the, the catchphrases, okay, such as brethren, uh, as such as our fathers. Uh, kind of important when you catch these catchphrases because it's directly connecting us to a people of, of days gone by. Just as we would consider our heritage or our lineage as as where we came from, as concerning, say, my lineage is going all the way back to Scotland, yet we can still trace even that lineage as a people groups all the way back to Japheth uh, of the children of Noah, but certainly through the mingling of the northern ten tribes of Israel as they were dispersed among the nations by captivities that that who's to say that that you know, we don't have a connection to that old covenant people? Mm, we'll see. This scripture goes forward. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. All ate the same spiritual food. And all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with most of them God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted, and do not become idolaters as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Nor let us commit sexual immorality, as some of them did, and in one day 23,000 fell. Nor let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted, and were destroyed by serpents. 
nor complain, as some of them also complained, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now, all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed, lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape, that you may not that you may be able to bear it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to wise men. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The cup of bread which we break, or the bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we, though many, are one bread and one body, for we all partake of that one bread. Observe Israel after the flesh. Are not those who eat of the sacrifices partakers of the altar? What am I saying then? That an idol is anything, or what is offered to idols is anything. Rather, that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and the table of demons. Or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? <laughs> so the, the very last verse that we face today is something that we have to think about for the rest of our time at 1 Corinthians chapter number 10. But really, this ought to burn a place into our conscience that we are regularly thinking about this as concerning the choices that we make, the places that we're going, the things that we're doing, and the, the, the words that we're speaking. It is to consider this very point. Do we provoke the Lord to jealousy with, the, with our lives? And do we honestly think that we are stronger than him? Now, as understanding the point that he is making here is, is that it's an absurdity. Really, it's an, a statement of a absurdity. Of, of course, there is no possible way that you could be stronger than the very creator that made you. Okay, Almighty God is is on His throne. Uh, no one's going to be taking Him off of that throne. No one's going to be able to replace Him. He He is the one who dictates all things that exist in the universe. He's the one that set everything into motion. He He's the one with the plan. He's the one that has made all things, and by Him all things consist. It's, it, it's, it's an utter absurdity to consider the idea that we would be stronger than He. And yet we live our lives all the time as though we were stronger than He. We live our lives in, in, in areas of rebellion that, that we do not want to comply with God. Uh, we live our lives in 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 a very frustrating child sort of way before the Lord as, as grinding upon his nerves because of the ways in which we act. Uh, certainly, there are many times which the child believes that he could overtake the father. There's plenty of times when a child believes that they know more than their parents, that they are 
that they're stronger, that they're faster, that they that they're more capable. There's there's plenty of times that we face this in the flesh, but we also turn that same situation that we face in the flesh unto God. You know, we make the choices we make because we believe we know better than God what's best for us. And of course, those choices that we make as we have rebelled against God and not obeyed what his word says, we've done these things, we've eaten these foods, we've gone to these places, we've we've spoken to these people, we've entered into fellowship with those people, and, and the end result is, is we get ourselves caught up in snares, we get ourselves caught up in in. in with horrible health, with horrible living, with horrible all of these things. And then we say, why, God, have you done this to me when we contract these illnesses and diseases, when we, when we, you know, we're stricken with poverty and we, there's just no possible way that, that, that we could understand that it was us who brought us to this place. We look to God and blame him for the situation of our lives. And, and the reality is, is it all comes back to this very question that's found in verse number 22. Are we stronger than he? And of course, there, there's two ways to look at this. Now, if, if I answer, there's no way I could be stronger than God, then I have to acknowledge that in those things that we read above, if I stand guilty of those, that I am indeed guilty of provoking God to jealousy. And of course, this isn't a good position to be in because it requires repentance, just recognizing that I'm, I am frustrating the grace of God. I'm grieving the Holy Spirit. These are two things that the Apostle Paul, through his letters and writings to the different churches, say that we ought not to do, which is pretty wisdom uh, way of going about it anyways. You don't want to upset the balances of the Holy Spirit nor do you want to frustrate the, the grace of God. Uh, all it takes, guys... Is, is a simple, childlike obedience and faith to what his word says. Now, I can understand where we're regularly frustrating the grace of God if we're not studying the word of God so as to know what God's word says and what not to do and what to do. I, I, I get that. And, and, and so that two-thirds of the whole of God's Word is found in the Old Testament. New Covenant people say, well, that's that's the Old Testament. It doesn't apply to us when, in fact, uh, all of your dietary laws and all of your sanitation laws and all of these other laws that, by the way, I've already said this before a couple of days ago, but by the way, all of these laws that you're already in some way keeping because they are common sense laws that even our nation applies as a people living together. And um, it would probably benefit us to consider those things of the Old Testament, not as having to live by them, just as Paul said, those who who you know offer the sacrifices of of Israel are partakers of that altar and so that they believe that it is those sacrifices that are to secure them from death that they have to maintain those sacrifices in order to maintain their belief of of being protected from death when a sacrifice isn't going to do anything for you after God has already offered his one sacrifice in in our Christ, the Messiah, so it's very important 
to realize that that they're doing these things because this is what they think but the problem is is that they aren't observing what god has said either so rather it's from the old covenant people who are not looking to the new covenant to observe their messiah and follow after him or a new covenant people who have observed the messiah but then are are rejecting that old covenant and the very principles of the law that god has established for all of his children to live by it doesn't matter which side of this one covenant you're on rather the older the new it's still one covenant in messiah in christ and so it doesn't matter if you're on this side of the cross looking back or if you're on this side of the cross looking forward you still find jesus in the middle and you're still the the old has to look now into the new to understand how to live for christ and the new has to look back into the old to understand the law of god so that they could be a complete person and so we we when we reject looking to the new covenant because we believe ourselves already secured by by messiah and and new covenant people refuse to look back into the old covenant because they're they're secured in christ then they separate themselves when they're supposed to be one in christ and and a whole nation a whole people it's sad so do we think that we're stronger than him and can we look at our life and say you know what i'm probably provoking god <laughs> i'm poking a stick at the bear i'm probably provoking god well if that's a reality then guys all that's needed to do is confess it turn to the lord and change your ways now that's one of the most hateful things that could possibly be said at any given point in time in ministry at all and it's something that that a lot of seminaries are like don't ever say this don't ever make these points because you're, you're just going to cause people to leave you're just going to cause people to, to get frustrated with you and they're going to quit it, it, to tell people that there is a necessity of, to change to tell people that there's a necessity that that their lives may not be right with God and that they've got to to consider their ways before the Lord as to if they're poking a stick at the bear, if they're provoking him uh, to jealousy, to recognize that that in those areas of my life where I'm I'm just flat refusing to move forward with God, I'm I'm just flat decided that that i don't need this or that i'm not going there or that it's no i have no business in whatever it is with god why wouldn't we be telling people this unless we're chasing dollars what a shame in our society today by the way uh, Paul wouldn't have you chasing after money. He'd have you chasing after God's word. He'd have you chasing after righteousness, especially if you're you're going to be called as a minister of the Lord. And then he'd have you chasing after the word of God, living by the word of God. And and the reality is, you tell the truth, you speak the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help you God, or you're just another liar. <laughs> I mean, that's how it goes down. But beginning in verse number one, he comes down, he says, 
Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud. Now, who's Paul's audience? This church at Corinth, without question. How did this church initially begin but by those uh, those Jews that he would have gone into the synagogue as he was always, if you look through all of the work of the book of Acts uh, from chapter 9 clear out to the end of the book where Paul is very prominent in, in the works of the propagation of the church or you, you look through some of his letters as was written, you're always going to find Paul going into a new community, into a new nation as it was and the first place he's going to go is he's going in the synagogue because he's, his whole message of, of the cross is to the Jew first, just as it was written in Romans chapter number 1 and verse number 17 when he said, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jews first and also to the Gentiles. So the first place that the apostle Paul is going to be is in the synagogue. Now, the, the exciting part about this is the Apostle Paul being in the synagogue on a Saturday and be forming his, his uh, people together to be able to bring them together on a Sunday. And so he's working for both days. Now, the end result of this is that you've, you've got this scenario where he's got this group of people, they, they've begun to follow what he's teaching, so they may not have necessarily crossed over the divide yet as being, being followers of Messiah, as necessarily accepting Jesus as their Christ. But they have become intrigued by those things that Paul is teaching. They've listened to his logic. They've, they've listened to his argument as it was. They have been persuaded, which is exactly what the Apostle Paul tells us that we are to persuade men. So they are a people persuaded. So they're now listening to Paul's teachings on this. And so the point is, is that when he's referring to our fathers within the group of people that he's dealing with, majoritively he would be dealing with Jews as he is a Jew. And remember from yesterday at the end of 1 Corinthians 9, because he is fully aware of the way that Jews think and because he is fully aware of the the law that they're under, he's, he's more prepared to be able to communicate with this people readily uh, than he would be actually being able to communicate with, with the Gentiles. Nevertheless, as he is the apostle to the Gentiles, he will be reaching out and building a Gentile base alongside of a Jewish counterpart, which often is found, uh, like it is here in Corinthians, as building a friction within the church because of two uh, divergent uh, ideologies. Of course, when you reach out to the Gentiles who are pantheistic, meaning that they they have a belief in a multitude of gods and in a multitude of, of frameworks of worship, and you're drawing them into a monotheistic ideology, so you're drawing them in to, to changing the way that they think from the, this multiple God style of worship and sacrifice offering to, to this one God who no longer requires an offering for him that he has given his own offering for man through his son. So he's reaching out to them, but then he's also reaching out to the monotheistic crowd of, of the Hebrews and, and having to explain to them how that 
uh, Jesus is as much one in essence with the Father as the Father with the Son, and how that the Holy Spirit is at work within within us as much as is in essence with the Father is as the Son, but that it is not three different gods like the pantheist would believe, but that this is one God. And so you've got these two divergent ideologies that are that are coming together to to make up this church at Corinth, and and you can imagine. But by the way, you you have the same situation that happens in any church around the nation, because as a people begin to come to a church and become interested in the message and then become believers in in Christ. They, they tend to be bringing their ideologies into that body from wherever they are, and until they grow in their understanding of what the Bible says, until the, the congregation is, is settled and firm in the truths of Scripture and in the understanding of, of the whole book, not just a piece of it, then, then those ideologies may have a, an ability to seep in and alter some of the things that happen within the church, which is a warning that Paul here is saying, whoa, whoa, you, you, we don't do that. So it's important to pay very close attention to what's happening inside the house of god and and the only way you could do that is to actually be there <laughs> i'm just saying the only way you could do that is to actually be there and so he says i do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea okay what what's the story here what, what are we talking about well if you don't know this is a direct connection to the, the Old Covenant. This is a direct connection to the Old Testament. We're dealing with Exodus at this point. We're sitting at, at, at chapter 14, essentially, is where we're at in Exodus. Okay, From chapter 12, where the blood was applied to the upper post of the door and the two side posts, where death came through and, and passed over those who would have the blood of the Lamb on, on the outward post, and that the the Pharaoh of Egypt at that point would pass them through, say, get out of my land, and so that they would make their journey, which would move us into chapter 13 as they journey. But of course, then we see that, that Pharaoh was enraged, a little help from his wife, but nonetheless, Pharaoh is enraged. He takes the entirety of his chariot army. He's chasing down these Jews, but at the same time, which is an interesting point, the Jews were actually headed to the direction that they needed to go in uh, in order to go into the promised land. But God told Moses to turn back. And so that God would turn the people back and, and thus he would present them into a cavernous area where they're stuck between literally a rock and a hard place because the only, the only direction that they had was a cross that red sea or as some would say the reed sea so they're stuck in this situation they've they've got this great body of water in front of them they've got these caverns uh, like the grand canyons that are that are behind them they do not have a means by going left or right it's either going back into the caverns or it's going forward into the water and all of of the chariots of egypt are piling in behind them in that canyon, I keep calling it a cavern, but that's under a mountain, so it should be a canyon. And so you've got these chariots just ready to slaughter every last one of them, piling through this canyon, and, and you are 
only stuck with your wagons, with your livestock, with your children, with it, with having to go through that water. Now, uh, a lot of scholars would try to play this scenario down by saying the water wasn't much more than 10 inches deep. Well, if that was the case, they wouldn't be standing there wondering what to do if it was only 10 inches deep. Just cross the water. A foot-tall child could walk through 10 inches. Might be up to their waist, but they could walk through 10 inches. And children are taller than one, one foot that are walking. So, I mean, you know, if it's 10 inches, just walk through the water. What are you worried about? Your livestock could even get through that. What are you worried about? The reality is, is that the water's much deeper than, than what they want to play it down for. And so the people are, are panicking because they're stuck in a scenario where they're certain they're going to die. Now, you've got a pillar of fire that drops down between the, the chariots of Egypt and the, and the children of Israel. And that pillar of fire is as wide as the canyon. It keeps the chariots back. All night long, the chariots are kept back. Now, all night long, there's a strength of an easterly wind that is blowing at a vehemence that parts that water. So that in the, the morning of the dawn of the morning, the children of Israel are on their way and they're passing through this water. Now, that's really exciting because you have a direct intervention, a direct blessing of God and delivering His people. It is, it is there. It is recorded. You can read it, and it's powerful. And by the way, it's there in the Old Covenant. <laughs> it's how God delivers His people. It's exactly the same thing that He did in the New Covenant. It's just all those things that God did in the Old Covenant were examples of what Jesus did for us in the New. Plain and simple. He said, all passed through the sea. Now, the connection of why we perform immersion as the form of baptism instead of sprinkling as it would be with the blood of the lamb and that Moses would sprinkle the book and he would sprinkle the people and he would sprinkle things uh, with the hyssop and, and that was a consecration of those things as being holy before God. We see that the people as a nation are brought under the the power of God through this kind of baptism that you see as revealed in verse 2 here. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. So they're completely surrounded by water at this point. The two side walls of, of the sea are, are making the borders of, of their boundaries while they're walking through in a cloud. Remember in the in, during the day, that the Lord would guide them as a cloud to cover them. And then at night, he would be a pillar of fire that would keep those things lit. So you recall that. So the dealing of the day that they're walking through is a cloud covering over top and two side walls of the sea on, on, so that they're completely surrounded by water on all sides. And so indeed, they are immersed. And the immersion that they have is is into Moses, literally, that they would be following Moses. And, and to this day, those who, who remain under the old covenant and have not trusted in Jesus as their Messiah still remain in Moses as, as concerning what they were brought into and that, that they're not able to escape the reality that they're still under that law. They're still separated from God by, by their own choice because they, they have not trusted in 
Christ, they have only trusted in man and, and trusting in man and man's ways and, and, and following after man are not going to get you across the divide. Only following God is going to truly save you. And so that God would use Moses as a figure of Christ in leading his people through the water and leading his people unto the safety of the other side, he is only a figure. He is not the thing itself. And so that it is for us to understand, we need to turn to Christ, not to Moses. Moses can't do anything for us. Christ. And by the way, Moses couldn't do anything for those people. Moses was crying out to God. God, how are, how are you going to deliver us from this? I mean, the chariots of Egypt are on our tail and the waters before us. We're going to die. So, so you, you let us out to the wilderness to die. How are you going to deliver us? And God said, just trust me. Just trust me. And what does Moses say in, in Exodus chapter 14? He said, be calm. He said, be still and see the salvation of our God. Now, oddly enough, that word salvation that is written there is Yeshua. So he says, as it would be in Hebrew, see the Yeshua of our God. Now, that's kind of exciting because that's Jesus's name. And that's Jesus's work. That's who Jesus is, is our salvation. And so he said, just slow down, Calm down and watch what Jesus can do. So Moses is actually pointing us to observe Jesus' work unto salvation, for it would be Jesus who opened the water. It would be Jesus who covered the people. It would be Jesus who delivered them from death. And then it will be Jesus who conquered death by closing up that sea and that water over the chariots of Egypt. It would be Jesus who, who through the Father, gave such a great deliverance for his people. And it's Jesus delivers us if we turn to him. So he comes down and he says, all were baptized into Moses and in the cloud and in the sea. He said, all ate the same spiritual food. Now this is really exciting. He said, they all drank the same spiritual drink. Well, let me not go forward too fast. They all drank the same spiritual food. Well, what food are we talking about? Right? What food but that you would learn after they had crossed that, that sea that they had come to a position where they, they were faced with the, the land that they were promised. And so they sent 12 spies into the land to be able to spy it out to see what, what potential dangers might be there, what have you. And, and so 12 spies go in. They come back. Now, 10 spies say there is no way. There are giants in that land. There is no way that we'll be able to, to, to fight and conquer those giants. Why? Because they're thinking as a man. They're saying, as our nation, just coming out of slavery and having absolutely nothing and not knowing how to fight, if we go up against these giants, we're going to lose. Now, there are two guys in there. Who's, who, who are pretty exciting, I personally think. You've got Caleb, right? And you've got Joshua. You've got these two guys that, that come back and say, wait a minute, wait a minute. God is with us. God just delivered us from all of those chariots. God has delivered us from the hand of Pharaoh in Egypt more than once. We've seen the 10 plagues. We've, we've, guys, we can go into this land. 
Caleb and Joshua are crying out. We could go into this land because anything that's going to stand up to oppose us is going to be met with the power of our God. He's not going to let anything happen to us. We, we just finished walking through the sea and watching it swallow our enemies. God is not going to let anything happen to us. You know, the people followed the advice of the ten. In other words, they followed the, the majority. And now we see that majorities aren't always a good way to go. They aren't always right. But they followed the majority instead of listening to the wisdom of the two. They followed the ten, and they got themselves stuck in the wilderness as a journey for 40 years. And the purpose behind that journey in the wilderness for 40 years was so that that generation of the ten that, that had rejected doing what the Lord had commanded them to do, by the way, would die off. So God in his fury just left them to die in a wilderness. But he didn't abandon them in the wilderness because they all ate the same spiritual food. <clears throat> well, what food was that that they were feasting upon but the blessing of angels' food? So in that wilderness... God, even though his wrath was kindled against those who rebelled against his command to go into the promised land, which he was trying to bless them with, still provided them with the manna that would come as the dew of the day on the ground, that they would be able to gather up and make their bread for, for the day and have food to eat. And then you'll, you'll find that they complained about that food, that blessing of the spiritual food they complained about. So God gave them physical food, and a lot of them ended up killing themselves by, by being belly swollen and bursting their stomachs from eating the, the, the fowl of the air that he had fly in, like the quail and what have you, that he had fly in, that they caught it and they killed it, they ate it, they gorged themselves, and a lot of them died because of their, their own gluttony. But the end result of that is that they did eat all that, that manna, that same spiritual food. Now, verse 4, they drank the same spiritual drink. And what was that? They all drank of that spiritual rock. Please pay attention to the fact that that rock is capitalized. And and as you would find in a, a, my one of my favorite places, I think it's... Yes. So in Deuteronomy chapter number 32, you see that in verse number 4, the scripture says, He is the rock. His work is perfect. For all his ways are justice, a God of truth and without injustice, righteous and upright is he. As, as verse number 3 would say, I proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God. Verse 4, he is the rock. And then you, you would carry on in this, this teaching that, that Moses would be singing about and giving praise. He says in verse number 18 of Deuteronomy 32, of the rock again capitalized, who begot you, you are unmindful, you have forgotten the God who fathered you. Uh, again, he refers to that, our father, in, in verse number 1 of 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And then a little bit further down, you will see that, that our rock is not like their rock. And that's pretty important uh, to understand because he has a lowercase. In verse number 31, it says, For their rock, lowercase, is not like our rock, upper 
case. So very important to to find the connection between these two because when we get back to 1 Corinthians 10 and he says that they all drank of that spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. Now what event are we talking about as concerning this rock? But the, the reality that, that God had spoken to Moses and at the first time he told Moses this great big boulder and the people were complaining, they were thirsty, and he told Moses to smack the rock with his, with his staff. And, and Moses did as he was commanded and the rock burst forth and there was enough pure water for the people to be able to drink in the entire nation of Israel at that point, which some scholars believe is 2.5 million. Some say it was even up to 5 million that that would be satisfied with drink along with their cattle and livestock and everything else. And it came from the rock. And so we find that the, the reference is being referred to here by the Apostle Paul in verse number 4. He's actually working with this church, and this church is not just Jews. This church is Jews and Gentiles gathered together here at Corinth. But he's bringing out the realities of all of these things that happened in the Exodus journey uh, from its beginning of being delivered unto its time of being cared for in the, in the, the wilderness and it's all vital for us to be able to understand, lest we've never studied that, that those events, the Old Covenant, to be able to connect them to what's happening in Paul's teaching. And by the way, that, that water is the same water that Jesus would teach the Samaritan woman, a well of water springing up into everlasting life. That water is the same teaching that Jesus would work at the temple during the time of Sukkot in, in John chapter number 8 when he would say that 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 he was the the well of water that would spring up under everlasting life for those who would receive it so it's very important to understand that a lot of these connections that Jesus is making to himself and the work that he's there to do a lot of the connections that the apostles are making throughout their letters uh, are all directly connected and tied back into the old covenant <laughs> and so that they become one inseparable covenant it, it's it's not them and us, it's us and us. <laughs> it's kind of exciting when you think about it. We got a pretty big family for those that come to Jesus and trust him as Messiah. So he comes down and he says that, that Jesus was the rock. And, and praise God, we even sing a song about Jesus is the rock of my salvation. His banner over me is love, right? So we already got that connection of the rock. We just now have scriptural reality of, of that rock as being the, the deliverance in the book of Exodus at the time when the people were thirsting and saying, we're going to die. We're going to dehydrate in this wilderness. You've led us out of here to die. And Moses smacked the rock and the water came forth. And thus he makes the connection that their rock is not like our rock. Hallelujah. And I'm out of time. <laughs> so uh, we'll have to catch up to verse number five uh, on Monday because this is Friday. So we will be going into Sunday, 1030. Really exciting. Diving back into the, the life and the times of Noah. Took a brief break from that uh, last week so that we could talk about the, the Feast of Trumpets or Yom Teruah. And, and be able to explain the, the connection of the rapture and of the last trumpet, the trumpet sounds, the victory that we have, the dead in Christ shall rise, the we who are alive and remain are caught up together with them in the clouds of the air, evermore to be with the Lord. It's a beautiful 
teachings that comes from uh, one of those beautiful feasts of God. And so that we, we grasp all that, we dive back into Noah's life. We're going to be inside the ark. We're going to be 40 days and 40 nights, which is a very powerful number in Hebrew. And, and we're going to be looking into those things. So if it catch your interest, come on with us at 1030 a.m. on Sunday morning here at Martin and you're welcome to catch us on Facebook and we'll be on YouTube uh, about by noon or one. Uh, so definitely look into those things. Thank you, Father, for all that you have done, for what you have revealed, and for how you have connected your covenants together to, to be in, in the Father, one people through Jesus, our Savior. So God bless it. We'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name this day, amen. All right, guys, God bless you, keep you, cause his face to shine upon you, and I'll catch you uh, either Sunday or this coming Monday for, for the continuation of what's going on here in 1 Corinthians chapter number 10. So y'all take care.